Audit Tuesday is honored this week to be joined by Malcolm Harkins, who has held chief security and privacy offices at premier enterprises like Intel and Silence. Malcolm is considered to be one of the most established experts on the topic of security and governance on how AI data is collected, stored, and utilized. Thank you very much for joining, Malcolm. Hey, thanks. Happy to be here. So first, Malcolm, it's all in the cyber publication. So Microsoft just reported 38 terabytes of data collected for AI models has been leaked. Isn't this basically what you've been warning the world about for the last 10 years? Well, in, in, in many ways, yes. And, and, and sometimes, you know, exposures are hopefully in this case inadvertent and somebody made a mistake. But, you know, either way, even if it was a mistake and unintentional, you know, the, the repercussions on it, including some of the suggestions that potentially malicious code could be injected into the models. You know, there's a wide variety of implications around the exposure of those models and that data that could have ramifications for those that use those models. So you're constantly lecturing on the importance of governance in the practice of AI data collection and storage. So why are companies still so sloppy in the practice around AI data? Well, I, I'd, I'd go slop in, slop out. You could argue that there's been sloppiness in data collection even previous to AI and ML. I think what's ended up happening, if you think of even the evolution of what we were talking about 15 plus years ago, big data and analytics, right? That then drove into machine learning and artificial intelligence. You know, people think of data as just this thing, let's gather more and more and more and more and more which to some extent we need to, to some extent there's a level of what I'll say toxicity to data. When you, when you start playing with it and aggregating it and twisting it and turning it in different ways, in some sense, we should probably think of it like we're playing with chemistry kit and we might create some unintentional side effects that could cause damage to people or inferences that we might not intend, but again, could cause issues, let alone the aggregation of all that data. There's an aggregate impact when you're collecting one piece of data at a time, you know, the individual piece of data itself may not have the same materiality of impact, but when you aggregate data, the value of it grows, the implications of it grows, the damage it can do grows. Yeah, and Melka, let me go on top of that because I, I was a newbie to AI when I met you over at Silence, and I was like, let's build some models. And the first thing, the first thing the data scientist told me was, gather as much data as you possible. The more data you give us, the better the algorithm. So yeah, it is a you know yin yang on that. No, you're you're exactly right, Garrett, and and you know this from from our time at Silence. Even when we were doing some experimental R&D stuff, we were gathering data and we were using our employees right. as um, test vehicles to gather information and, and figure out is Malcolm actually behind the keyboard or not. Right. Because there was things that we couldn't technically easily control for, we had all the people working on that project sign a code of conduct that I wrote with the legal team so that we could hold them accountable and have them live up to a, a standard of integrity because you knew eventually they'd end up on a slippery slope. I just wanted them, as soon as they realized it, to stop, ask for help, because if they swept it under the rug or kept going, we would magnify the potential risk implications to the company. 
because uh, we had everything. We, we had how they typed, right? How they moved the mouse, uh, what applications they opened, how frequently. Those models, from listening to you, I was like, okay, that is some very specific PII type data, you know? So. Yeah, well, including the potential inferences that you could have made with it. Good point. You know, is Malcolm perhaps drank too much wine? Is he impaired in some way? <laughs> or, or perhaps is Malcolm having some tremors in his hand that could be the signal of a, a health issue? So there was interesting. Those patterns turned a slightly different way to create other inferences that have other implications. Interesting. So what would you say the ramifications of this exfiltrated data are? So to both the company and the people involved? Well, you know, whether or not it was exfiltrated, I don't know. We've just reported that, a, you know, they reported that a researcher was able to access it and and they followed, you know, responsible vulnerability disclosures and took care of it pretty quickly from, from everything I've read. Um, you know, so I think the implications though, really depend upon the data set and the ML model. On the one hand, if there's a data set that let's say was being used for uh, research for drug interactions prior to uh, you know, uh, having surgery, well, okay, there's a lot of potential privacy implications of data that has that type of stuff. And there are you know, pharmaceuticals and hospitals using AI and ML models to do that. On the other hand, if you could inject things into the models, into the gray space in there, and embed malicious code into the models, or poison the models in some way, again, you have an integrity issue with the model itself, and the model could be a distribution mechanism for malicious code. So like I said, depending upon, you know, really not only the data, but what you could have done to the data, there, there could be a wide variety of, of impacts and ripple effects. Can you go into poisoning data a little? Because that is a lot of outsiders and myself sometimes struggle with that. Like, we're like, well, it's just data. How can you poison data? Well, I mean, think about it. If if I weight a certain data set, I can introduce a bias. If I introduce a bias, I can change the model output. So you can poison the data in a way that causes it to tilt in a particular direction. I mean, just think of the geopolitical environment we're in. Think of uh, the election issues and, and the abuse of social media that occurred in, in some cases by nation states and, and others. You know, so that was actually leveraging the models and poisoning them to some extent by introducing data to it that it's learning from. I mean, heck, it was only if, if it was five, six, seven years ago, I can't remember the exact date, that Microsoft um, had released a kind of chat bot. Well, yeah. you know, within a few days, it was spewing, uh, let's say some unfavorable verbiage back to people, because people started playing with it. And it started picking up that language in response. Right. So, you know, there's different ways you can poison it, but, you know, it, it can affect the integrity of the output if that that data poisoning isn't managed, is not detected. And, and I can tell you right now, because um, I it, it actually there's been research um, again from some other former silence folks, the Hidden Layer team had produced some research earlier this year or late last year that, again, 
some pre-trained models that are in the public venue that people are just grabbing and going have already been poisoned. Wow. Yeah. No, and that's what I got from one of your talks. I mean, I never really thought about it that you can really bias a model, which makes sense because the AI guys have told me to said straight out, Garrett, the, the, the output of this model will be the data you give me. So if I can skew the data, then the output can be tangential to what it actually would be. Yep, absolutely. All right. So Malcolm, the governance around AI is key. So the work involved monitoring who we got the data from, how we collect this data, how we store, and who gets to see this data. Am I right in that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of it. There's where did the data come from? Do you have the rights to use it? You know, so there's some gray space in that because some people are just grabbing data that's on the internet, right? And who's to say that that data wasn't illicitly already taken and published and and stuff like that. So there's a little bit, there's certainly some of that. Then there's, you know, what are you doing with it? How are you manipulating? How are humans overseeing the training of the models, right? How are you validating the outputs? How are you making sure that the access controls are, are put in the right place? Not only to the, the raw data itself, but, you know, access to the ML models, um, right? So that if you think of this as uh, almost a supply chain, right, in a different sense, data is one of the inputs. And then the output of what the ML modeling, you could look at this as like a supply chain of data and output. What's the input? What's the machine doing? And what's the output? And all along that path, you have to have a level of integrity, security, governance, compliance, you know, attestation to things to make yourself and others feel comfortable that it's trustworthy. Yeah. Can you go a little for the audience, the training of the models? Because I always have to remind myself, you start with a model, right? But it's not done. You got to train it with more data. And that's where I guess that's where the poisoning and all that can come in. It, it, it certainly can come in from that training aspect. It can come in from the raw data itself, or it can come in when basically the machine learning is live and people are interacting with it. Because if you can start adding, because every time it's learning, right? And let's say it's it's a, a, a released model and the public is able to interact with it to get output. Well, if it's learning from the inputs, depending upon how you put information into it, you might actually be able to poison it while it's in quote unquote production. Yeah. So what are the sort of governance and security that should be around AI models? Well, I, I think there's a, a, a number of factors. Like I said, in, in the upfront sense, if you think of an ML model or an AI model as any other application, it's just one of artificial intelligence you have to have the right security development lifecycle privacy by design, right? So you have to think of it's different because the steps are different than the coding you would normally do if you're creating an application. But you have to take that same concept and say, what do I do up front in a security development lifecycle privacy by design to start with the level of in assurance, security, compliance? Then there's what I'll say the post production now that that the machine learning model is an ai model is is live and you put it into production how do you in real time protect quote unquote the ai as you would do real-time application security 
And, and along that path, again, there's access to the code, access to the data, access, you know, um, to the training modules. You know, so everything that we've done in other settings, it's just how do you apply it in the AI and ML world? And it, you know, there's access controls, there's detection and response, there's prevention um, up front, all kind of the same set of things, but just applied in a different uh, in a different way for this new capability that you know, and it, it's not necessarily new. It's you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence been around for a while, but but we've had this explosive growth, um, you know, because of generative AI and and open AI and all the models and, and all that type of stuff being just now very generally available to anybody to be able to access and use them. So Gary, isn't this where you attest comes in? So identity controls around who has access to AI data, AI model creation and applications that utilize the AI models? hundred uh, percent. I like what Malcolm said about a test. It's, this is the world. And this is where, you know, even myself in my first 20 years of my career, because I was building products, but I didn't build much governance into them, is there are rules? Great. The IM manager, in the case of this data, right, the person who's growing the data, he made, he made permissions. Great. Nothing wrong with that. He's got a day job, guys. That was that was me. And Malcolm knows it. I was building models. I had a day job. I had meetings to meet. I had investors for the silence to meet. I had whatever, right? Was I sloppy in the policies? The policies of who had access? Yes. Yeah, straight out, y'all. That's why Malcolm came in and said, okay, we have to one, have the people who have the data signed off. You have to quantify, Garrett, who has the data, right? That's where all this stuff comes in. It, governance is basically the big brother helping us, helping us make sure that we're not over collecting data, helping us that not too many people have access to data and helping us to make sure the data we collected is not being poisoned. And just to help you all understand how important policies are, okay? So think of those poor casinos that we all fly over or go to, right? Okay, yes, they hacked the 2FA, but the policy that was changed was the IAM was redirected to a new IDP that allowed any authentication. Shouldn't there always be attestation, attestation of important policies? And that's the case of your casinos, but attestation in who has access and who is who has access and who is allowed to feed into the data for these AI models. That's where UATAS comes in, and that's what attestation why it's so important. Perfect. So Malcolm, we'll give you the last word on your thoughts around the controls around AI data and how people can reach you and find your writings. Yeah, well, I think I think again there's a criticality depending upon the data, you know, if if you're doing healthcare data, if the outputs are directing, you know, fraud controls for a bank, you know, and those could be poison manipulated, leaked, whatever. Again, you're creating a material impact to that bank and, and stuff like that. So you really have to look at the machine learning, artificial intelligence capabilities 
and and where there's implications and who is going to be damaged because of that implication. And then based upon that, you know, you have to put in place the proper controls. And in some cases, you're going to run fast and say, hey, there's no um, material impact to customers. There's no material impact to the business. We're learning, yeah, we might have some brand damage, but it's not going to, you know, materially impact the company or hurt anybody uh, in any substantial form. Okay, great. Run fast, run a little bit loose. But where you're doing things that could have an impact to others um, and certainly your company, you really need to dial in the controls and dial them in appropriately. And as Garrett said, some of that's going to be policy. And I'll, I'll, I'll you know, reaffirm what we did at Silence. Have your data scientists have a code of conduct for them. They're going to be experimenting. You want them to experiment, but you also want them to realize what their responsibilities and obligations are. And then, like I said, all along the way, you got to do the security development lifecycle. You've got to do access controls. You've got to do real-time protection of those models. Um, because if you don't do it soup to nuts, you might be practicing what I'll say responsible AI in the way in which people are doing it with this hand wavy stuff. But you won't have responsible or trustworthy AI unless you have security. You can do all the ethical things up front, right? You can validate that it was lawful. You can do some technical robust tests. But if you don't do real-time protection of the access of the models themselves, you're going to end up on a slippery slope and uh, it's going to impact either your company or somebody else. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today, Malcolm. We really appreciate it. Um, and then we at UATest can be reached at uatest.com or just write us at info at uatest.com. Thank you so much again. Thanks, Garrett. Thanks a lot, Malcolm. Fantastic stuff. All the best.